well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad to be back with you once again behind the microphone. We're going to be talking today with uh, Iowa State Representative John Willis about a, a bill that he is hoping to revive this session. Um, this bill he introduced last year aiming to help those school districts who want to have armed school staffers. In Iowa, there's been an issue. We haven't necessarily seen this in every state with armed school staff programs in place, but in Iowa, we've also seen this in Mississippi and a couple of school districts where insurance companies uh, are basically telling school districts, hey, listen, you know, the liability here for armed school staff is just too great. We're not going to cover you. Or the cost of having a program like this is going to be so cost prohibitive that and districts aren't going to be able to afford to have that extra layer of security. So Representative Willis, uh, again, introduced a bill last year that would prohibit insurance companies from denying policies to school districts that choose to implement uh, one of these policies, uh, allowing for armed school staff, or at least you know uh, slapping them with a, a policy that is so exorbitant they uh, can't afford it. Uh, will this measure get uh, a fair hearing this year, particularly after the uh, shooting in Perry, Ohio. Again, we'll talk about it right now with uh, Representative John Willis from the great state of Iowa. Take a look and a listen. Representative Willis, thanks so much for your time today. It's good to see you, sir. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I've got to ask, what is the situation right now in Iowa? Because the school districts have the ability to have armed school staff, right? In fact, I just ran across a Newsweek story that uh, talked about a, a private school that uh, has implemented this program. But it seems like some districts who either want these programs in place or have had these programs in place are now being told by insurance companies, hey, we're not going to provide liability insurance for you unless you ban staff from carrying firearms. Well, uh, yeah, at least two uh, schools in the state of Iowa did uh, arm employees. And uh, they were both insured by the same company. And that company said, you know what, uh, we're not going to insure you anymore. And the, the schools repeatedly asked why, what what reason are you not going to insure us? And they would basically never say why they were not insuring them until the school rescinded the policy for armed employees. And then all of a sudden the insurance company insured them again. So we can infer from that that it was the armed employees that were uh, the, the stopping point. Now, in Iowa, it is legal for a superintendent to say, uh, yes, you can come armed into my building. Uh, that's legal. That's state law. Uh, so that, that means that if they have armed employees that specifically have a, sep a separate or uh, collateral duty that they could carry and go armed in the school. We also have shooting sports in the state, which that, that insurance company also insures schools that have shooting sports. And so it's just weird. Uh, that it just happens to seem to be uh, only armed employees who are there to protect kids uh, and, and teachers and employees uh, are the stopping point for a shooting sports, which is very popular in Iowa. Almost every school, if not every school, has a shooting sports team. Uh, they're, be, they're being able to be insured. Yeah. And I mean, listen, we know that the shooting sports are some of the safest sports around. Right. Um, so there shouldn't be an issue there. 
But there's also not been an issue with armed school staff. And you look at, you know, states like Florida that have the uh, school guardian program. Uh, Texas has, I think, several hundred school districts that have armed teachers in place. Ohio, Colorado. And I got to tell you, represent the only other place that I've seen where this issue's popped up, where an insurance company says, eh, you know, what, we're going to jack up your premiums or we're going to deny you coverage entirely. Um, there was a d- district in Mississippi that ran into a problem like this. So this does suggest that this is maybe, uh, you know, the actions of, of, a, of a few companies out there, because there are plenty of districts around the country who've been able to implement this process and implement this program. So uh, I know that you uh, filed legislation last year that would uh, preclude insurance companies from denying districts coverage based on programs like this um, that did not get to the governor's desk. Are you reintroducing that bill this year? We're going to take a little bit of a different approach because uh, in my belief, uh, I think that the insurance company would just say, yeah, we're not going to deny them insurance. We're just going to jack the rates up so high that they can't afford it. And so uh, we're, we're just rethinking a few things and we're going to, we're going to look at a, uh, I'm kind of saying we're going to do an all of the above approach. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, offering maybe incentives for other insurance companies to come to the state so that we have some competition. Right now, that insurance company is pretty much the only uh, game in town for many of our schools. And so, uh, yeah, when you have that kind of situation, it makes it a little bit easier for you to force people into your will. But we're not going to have an insurance company dictate policy in the state of Iowa. Uh, so that's kind of one of the things we're looking at. We're looking at, uh, many, I'm not going to give you like specifics because I don't want to give, uh, somebody an upper hand to kind of fight back uh, at us, but, uh, we are looking at an all of the above, above approach. We have had, this is our third week of session and we have had uh, no less than, uh, 10 meetings, uh, about this issue. Uh, I have working with me, uh, right now, the chair on the judiciary committee the chair on public safety committee, the chair of the education committee, the Edda Probst uh, chair. I've got three staff members. Now, why that's so important uh, is we only have eight staff members that work for our, our caucus here in the state of Iowa. We've got three of them working with us on this. Uh, we have had meetings with schools. We've had meetings with insurance companies. We've had a lot of different meetings. I am now working with the Senate to, to ensure that we can have a, a collateral bill with the Senate that we can do something. Uh, and we're uh, we're working on this from a multi-level uh, type of approach uh, with those three committees. Maybe each of those six, uh, committees would have their own bill. And uh, we're looking at hardening. I think we still need to look at hardening the buildings. We still need to look at all the other things. I think the, the guns, the armed employees is the smallest part of this issue. School safety is uh, important on a multiple level. The guns is just a small, a small part of it, but it's, it's an important part of it because it's the last ditch effort. It's the last last uh, line of defense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. And, I, and I'm glad to hear that there is this sort of, you know, uh, overarching approach to improving school safety. I think you're right. There is a lot that can be done just in terms of, you know, the physical plant, uh, you know, the physical barriers that can be put in place. But but you're absolutely right as well that, you know, again, as that last line of defense or maybe the first line of defense, frankly, in some rural districts where they don't have a dedicated school resource officer. You know, I live in rural Virginia. Uh, we have one deputy who patrols between the high school and the middle school. But the elementary primary school, the preschool has no law enforcement present whatsoever. Um, and this is something that I've had conversations with my own county sheriff about with, uh, you know, folks on the school board. And it is a concern, you know, and this is something that, look, not every school district is going to want armed school staff. But for those districts who do, 
they should be allowed and they should be able to actually put that policy in place. Um, and I know that this is, you know, obviously gotten a lot more attention since the uh, tragic shooting in Perry, Iowa. I'm curious, have you heard from other districts and school board members, superintendents who would like to have policies like this in place, but but have seen what's happened in Spirit Lake and uh, the other school district and have said, all right, all right we're not even going to bother pursuing this right now because we know our hands are tied. I have actually been working on this issue for about six years. Uh, I, I live in a rural area. I've got schools that uh, would have a, about a 25 minute response time. Uh, if the police or the sheriff's department folks were in the right place at the right time, still 25 minutes in order for them to get there and to act on the situation. Now, an, an active shooter can shoot one person every six seconds if they're uh, you know being good about, about it in a, in a bad way. Uh, so that's that's a lot of people that could be wounded, shot, killed uh, in that 25 minute time period. And so that's something we really need to, to focus on and look at. Uh, so I've been working on this for for that reason for a long, long time. And I've been praying that something like Perry wouldn't happen in the state of Iowa until we get it fixed. And unfortunately, that did happen. Uh, now, these people are cowards. These shooters are cowards and uh, they, they have no. Uh, uh, worry about once they're confronted, uh, stopping what they're doing and either give up or kill themselves because they're cowards. They don't have any any uh, uh, desire to be uh, forced into being stopped. They just want to stop themselves. And, and once they're confronted, the shooter in Perry was confronted by an unarmed uh, principal. Uh, and basically that stopped him long enough for the police to be able to get there and not have a lot more casualties. And so if we can do anything that we can to stop these cowards from doing what they're doing, and I don't say their names, I, they're just cowards. Uh, and I think that's the best way to treat them. You know, and again, I mean, you talk about the heroic actions of the principal who who was shot and killed uh, in Perry. And one of the arguments we hear from uh, gun control groups and even like you know, teachers unions is that, well, teachers shouldn't be forced to be in this position. Uh, teachers don't want to do this. It may be very well be the case for some folks, but I think it's human nature. Again, if God forbid one of these incidents unfolds on a school campus, you will have staffers who will react the way that that principal did. You will have staffers who will act to try to save the lives of students and their colleagues. Why on earth should they be left defenseless in trying to save lives? Why on earth should they not have the same ability to respond to a, a deadly threat with deadly force, again, if God forbid something like this plays out on a school campus. What you're saying is exactly right. These teachers, uh, I think it was Uvalde, where a teacher was curled around a child, protecting the child, and got killed doing that. That's what teach teachers are. They're going to protect the kids that they're in, in charge of. And uh, it's unfortunate that we are, are having situations where we're not allowing them to be able to fight back instead of cowering, you know, covering a child. Uh, from being wounded or shot. Uh, so we need to give them the tools to do that. I will tell you that Spirit Lake Schools, which is the school that I've been working with the longest and the most, uh, they offered up uh, to their employees to volunteer to join this program. Uh, we call I call it the Guardian Program because I like that. I think it's the true a true name. They had uh, they had to cut off the applicants at 15 because they didn't have the resources to uh, do more than 15. So 15 employees of this medium-sized school volunteered to join this. It was very rigorous. They shot more rounds than police officers do. Uh, they trained. They did live scene scenarios. They did uh, all kinds of stuff 
They are better trained at a action live uh, fire or a, 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 a shooter type event than what police officers do because police officers also learn how to stop a vehicle and search. They do all right. the legal stuff. These people are just there to react and stop an immediate action. They learn how to communicate with police. They learn all of these things. And then the insurance company says, well, that's that's a lot of risk. We're not going to cover that. Or worse, they're saying we're not going to cover the social issue uh, of guns in our schools. That would be worse because I think that's uh, maybe like an ESG type thing. And, and uh, we need to uh, nip that in the bud as well. Absolutely. Um, hey, listen, I, I'm so glad to hear that this uh, is a priority, uh, not only for you, but for so many of your colleagues. Um, do you think that you'll be able to get something done this session or is this something that is going to get have to kick, get, get back to 2025? We will. The Speaker of the House in Iowa has made it a priority. Uh, we have filed a bill under his name as a speaker's bill uh, that is being drafted right now. And once that's uh, out and we we meet with some folks to make sure that we've got all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed. Uh, then we'll have that released ho hopefully in the next two weeks. Uh, we Our first funnel is in three weeks, and so we have to have it out of committee uh, by that time. Uh, I'm hoping that the Senate will pick up our bill and just run it the same, uh, run the same bill and send it down to the governor, and we can have something done uh, by the first of March or so. Um, that's, that's if everything works perfect. My guess is going to be closer to April. That's the way politics or political stuff is. It's supposed to be slow and it's supposed to be deliberate. And so uh, we want to we want to make sure that we make sure that you know everything in this bill is correct and right. We don't want to have any unintended consequences that could follow things up. So uh, we're going to make sure, uh, regardless of how long it takes, we're going to make sure it gets done. But I'm uh, I would say I'm more confident uh, that we'll get something done this year than I'm not for sure by by far. Okay. Well, that is good to hear. And again, you know, this is not the, the, the sole measure uh, that you and your uh, fellow lawmakers are looking at to improve school safety. Cause I know that's going to be, you know, one of the arguments that anti-gunners use, right. Is well, they just want to put more guns in schools and consider the problem solved. And that's not it. I mean, listen, there is research from the Homeland Security Institute at Purdue University showing that the fastest way to stop an active shooter uh, at school is to have a dedicated school resource officer to engage and attack that individual while you've got armed school staff who are sheltered in place with students. I mean, that research, you know, has been done. But again, as you say, this is this is one part of the one aspect, right, of, of trying to harden up our schools to try to make sure that the kids when they're on campus and the teachers who are teaching them and the cafeteria workers and the administrators that all of those folks have a safe environment. Um, but again, part of that environment is ensuring that there can be an armed response as quickly as possible. If God forbid, one of these incidents takes place. What are some of the other areas that, uh, that you and your colleagues are looking at in terms of improving school security? Well, we are looking at SROs. Uh, a Perry, unfortunately did have an SRO. They just weren't on, present on site that day. We're looking at SROs and giving schools the options to use SROs or armed staff or both. Um, we're looking at cameras. We're looking at uh, uh, electronic uh, door open, uh, door locks that can be opened from the outside by just a uh, just a simple uh, key card that uh, a police officer would have, and they just swipe it. Versus what happened in Uvalde, where they thought the door was locked and they didn't try to open it for a half hour because nobody had the key. Well, it ended up it wasn't even locked. Uh, so we want to avoid that kind of, you know, we're looking at past experiences and making sure that we are able to avoid those kind of issues and problems. We're looking at putting uh, the Motorola uh, radios in each school building in the state 
Uh, that's the one that would be tied into our, our law enforcement's uh, Motorola system so that uh, the school, each school building would be able to communicate immediately with police, uh, law enforcement, um, and, and EMS as well uh, with those radios. We're looking at um, a multitude of other things, but uh, like I said, it's going to be an all of the above uh, approach where we're not just going to look at the guns, but we're going to we're going to give grants, I think, to uh, schools that want to train uh, employees uh, as long as they follow a, a prescribed uh, training system uh, so that, uh, you know, we, we can spend $100,000 a year on an SRO or we can spend $100,000 one time and train 10 employees and then that is a, a, a done cost. We don't have to do that. I think it makes so much sense you know, to look at that. Not that every, you know, we're, we're putting light, uh, prices on lives, but it's, it's an issue when you have to, when you have to budget and when you have to look at these things, we have to, you know, understand that uh, we, we have a limited dollar amount that we have to work with. And, and uh, sometimes getting the best bang for the buck is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not Congress, right? You can't run trillion dollar deficits. Uh, so you've got to make sure that the budget is balanced and and, and cost considerations do come into play. Um, well, I hope that we can touch base again in a few weeks. You say that uh, the, the first hurdle here is uh, coming up about three weeks from now. Um, can we get you back on the program maybe in a couple of weeks and, and see where we are in terms of the, uh, the legislation being uh, crafted and introduced and uh, what kind of support you're receiving from your colleagues? Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. Representative John Willis, again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all your work in terms of protecting students there in Iowa. And I look forward to continuing the conversation here in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate Representative Willis joining us on the program. And uh, again, if you want to help out, make sure if you're an Iowa gun owner anyway, make sure that your lawmakers have heard from you on this critically important issue. You know, again, it's not just we're seeing so many attacks on uh, the ability of school districts to provide that extra layer of security, not just in Iowa, but in uh, Colorado, where you've got that draft legislation, as I talked about, that would just uh, ban the practice entirely. Um, and again, I don't know why Democrats are trying to run on making students less safe in schools, but uh, we need to hold them to account for trying to do so. Let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We'll start there. Not necessarily a true recidivist report, but it is one of the what the hell are they thinking sentences from North Dakota, where a woman was sentenced to probation after a pair of guilty pleas in both a stabbing incident uh, as well as a child neglect case, both stemming, I guess, from the same uh, encounter with police. Stephanie Johnson sentenced to one and a half years of probation after pleading guilty to felony charges of aggravated assault and child neglect. She was arrested in September of last year after Morton County Sheriff's deputies were called to the emergency room local hospital in response to a 54-year-old woman who had allegedly been stabbed in the hand while she was visiting neighbors. The neighbor identified as Stephanie Johnson and her husband. Apparently, there was an argument between Johnson and the woman, which resulted in the woman being stabbed. Um, police didn't disclose what the subject of the argument was, but when deputies went to the Johnson's home to try to get Stephanie Johnson's side of the story... They found a three-year-old boy, described as nonverbal, wearing only a diaper. They said they found moldy food lying out, as well as open bottles of vodka within the child's reach. Meanwhile, Stephanie Johnson and her husband were passed out drunk on a bed, which led to the child neglect charge. And again, all of this resolved with a guilty plea to two felony charges, but a slap on the wrist for a stab in the hand uh, and a child neglect. One and a half years probation. For this incident again in uh, Glen Ullen, North Dakota. Today's armed citizen story from the Chicago area. 
where a concealed carry holder uh, shot back at a 17-year-old robber at the Taco Burrito King restaurant earlier this week. Uh, you know, it is, it's amazing when you think about it that just a little more than a decade ago, we wouldn't have had these types of armed citizen stories from Chicago because Illinois didn't allow uh, any bearing arms in self-defense. And yet, since the state of Illinois put in place a shall-issue concealed carry system, there are tens of thousands of concealed carry holders in Cook County, hundreds of thousands across the state. And thankfully, we are seeing incidents where people are able to protect themselves and others. In this particular case, police said a 17-year-old entered the Taco Burrito King about uh, 9.35 Monday night, team armed with a handgun, demanded money from the register. The clerk complied. According to police, the teen was then confronted by a man inside the restaurant who was a licensed concealed carry holder. That man shot at the teen who then fled the restaurant and fled the scene in a black SUV, crashing a short time later. Uh, not far away, he was uh, taken into custody by police. The uh, 17-year-old transported to a local hospital for a graze wound to the arm. Uh, as of last report, charges have not been announced against the teen. I doubt that the concealed carry holder is going to face charges. But it is Cook County, so you never know. But, uh, you know, listen, just because the clerk complied doesn't mean that that teen was going to walk out the door, leaving everybody unharmed. We have seen incidents where, despite compliance on the part of victims, the assailants kill. The person who cooperated with the robbery, right? Who went along, as we're told to do, right? Don't, don't, don't be a hero. Don't place yourself at risk. Well, you can do that, but you're still placing your life in the hands of somebody pointing a gun at you, which seems like a um, pretty sketchy thing to do. In this case, again, the concealed carry holder in the right place at the right time will enable to do the right thing to uh, stop that armed robber and uh, protect the lives of those inside that restaurant. But again, we'll follow up and see if. Any charges are filed against the concealed carry holder, frankly, or the armed robber uh, in Cook County. And finally today, our good deed of the day, again, in the right place at the right time, we'll enable to do the right thing. A uh, delivery driver in Michigan who alerted authorities to a 12-year-old boy who had fallen through the ice of a pond. The uh, driver works for uh, Hungry Howie's, um, not as a delivery driver, but as a truck driver. So he was uh, on his way to a Hungry Howie's to drop off, you know, a lot of goods. But he uh, was at a Cabela's Tuesday morning. I guess maybe doing a little bit of shopping before he, uh, you know, made his first delivery. And he heard a boy screaming for help. He saw this 12-year-old in the middle of an icy pond. It broken through the ice, struggling to stay afloat. It's about 20 feet offshore. So Jonathan Garza immediately calls 911 says, hey, here's what's going on. Within two minutes, emergency crews made it to the scene there in Dundee, Michigan. Officer Joe Shoemaker uh, was the first to step out onto the ice. He grabbed a floating device, made his way uh, to the 12-year-old. He eventually fell through the ice himself, but he was able to keep going. He was a bit taller, I guess, than the kids. So he was able to wade through the uh, icy waters and get to him. Uh, once he had that uh, flotation device secured, other officers, deputies, and firefighters helped pull the pair back to safety. Uh, the boy was taken to a local hospital to get checked out. Officer Garza, okay, back on duty later that day. Police department said the Dundee police would also like to recognize the 911 caller, Jonathan Garza from Clinton Township, who heard the boy screaming for help and called 911. He was in the right place at the right time. And if it were not for Jonathan Garza, again, hearing those cries for help and responding, who knows what would have happened to that 12-year-old. So, yeah, you know, listen, you don't have to actually crawl out on the ice yourself to be a hero. Sometimes just alerting the authorities to uh, a situation is enough. And as the police said, he was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save that 12-year-old from harm.
That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I'm looking forward to being back with you on Monday as we uh, continue covering the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Of course, that work doesn't stop even when uh, Bearing Arms Cam and Company is not on the air. So be sure to check out BearingArms.com. We've got all kinds of bad bills that are popping up in legislatures around the country. Got some good court decisions to talk about. But again, a lot of threats to our right to keep and bear arms we are keeping an eye on. And you can get all the latest information at BearingArms.com. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. All you have to do, go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. It's our way of saying thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Because your support really does matter. And it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll see you back here on Monday. But until then, be well. Be safe and be free.